Hey guys, I have a podcast that I think you'll really enjoy. Proof, the investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here is releasing its highly anticipated second season where they investigate the murder of 18-year-old Renee Ramos. The first season, which if you haven't listened to yet, you totally should, saw the release of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend, Brian Bowling. And thanks to evidence unearthed by proof, on December 8th, 2022, both Daryl Lee Clark and Kane Joshua Story were finally freed after 25 years behind bars. With that same investigative drive, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, and this time, they are on the streets of Manteca, California, to find out who really killed Renee Ramos. In proof, murder at the warehouse, you hear how, on June 5th, 2000, Renee's body was found buried beneath a pile of debris inside a new Home Depot building. And how, despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, her boyfriend, 18-year-old Jake Silva, and 33-year-old Ty Lopez were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Morgan Rector, host of the Human Monsters True Crime Podcast. Do you find life boring within the comfort zone? This is the right show for you. It will test your endurance. The offenders profiled are among the most inhumane. These people specialize in the unthinkable. Human Monsters, available wherever you get your podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Some things aren't always as they seem. On January 9th, 1968, a man was born who would, on the surface, seem like the only suspect in a mysterious fire that killed his children. But as the years went by and evidence became more clear, his level of guilt would change in the eyes of many. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On December 23, 1991, neighbors living in Corsicana neighborhood of northeastern Texas, almost all at once, tilted their heads up at the increasingly strong scent of smoke that was, upon further investigation, coming from the one-story home of the Willingham family. As some rushed over to see what was going on, they were greeted by the sight of Cameron Todd Willingham standing on the front porch in just a pair of blue jeans, chest stained with soot, and screaming. My babies are burning up. That's when everyone realized, to their horror, that one-year-old twins Carmen and Cameron and their two-year-old sister Amber were still inside of the smoldering house. Todd told one of the neighbors, a woman named Diane Barbie, who had rushed over when her 11-year-old daughter Buffy saw the smoke while playing outside, to call the fire department while he grabbed a nearby stick and broke through the window in an attempt to save his children. He did this one other time, but when the flames seemed to burst out of the window in retaliation, Todd was forced to retreat into his yard, collapsing on his knees and crying out, my babies, before falling silent. 
By the time Diane returned, the five windows surrounding the children's bedroom had exploded. As the first set of firefighters responded to the scene, a police chaplain patiently led a hysterical Todd to the back of the fire truck so he could ask what happened before they arrived. According to Todd, spoken through tears and gasps for breath, after his wife Stacy left earlier that morning to do some Christmas shopping, he was jolted awake by the sound of his daughter Amber screaming his name, desperately trying to wake him up. As he said the words, I couldn't get my babies out, a fireman emerged from the home cradling the small body of Amber Quay Kendall. As the fireman was giving Amber CPR, her 23-year-old father ran over to see if she was alive, suddenly breaking off and heading towards the flaming house and only stopped when two men restrained him. Though he only suffered from minor burns, Todd was then taken to the hospital where he was informed that Amber, who had been found in the master bedroom, had died of smoke inhalation. Her sisters Cameron and Carmen were found lying on the floor of their bedroom, bodies severely burned and dying of smoke inhalation. As Todd and his wife reeled from their sudden loss, police and the fire department began investigating the house to see if they could determine how the fire started. With the flames now doused, they found char patterns in the shape of puddles throughout the home, leading to the assumption that the fire was not an accident but started by some form of liquid accelerant. When a sample was taken from the threshold of the front door and sent off to a lab, they determined that there was evidence of a mineral spirit, often found in charcoal lighter fluid. Needing more information, police started to interview the rest of the neighborhood and asked those who were there the day of the fire if they saw anything worth a second look. The more they questioned, the more those who originally testified to Todd's devastation changed their stories slightly. People like Diane Barbie, who said that she never actually saw Todd try and enter the house until after the authorities arrived, alluding to his actions being all for show. She went on further to say that when the children's room exploded with flames, he seemed more preoccupied with his car, which he moved down the driveway, than the fact that his children had likely lost their lives. Even saying that both she and her daughter begged Todd to go back in and save his children, and he refused. Another neighbor claimed that when Todd cried out for his babies, he, quote, did not appear to be excited or concerned. And even the chaplain said that, upon further reflection, quote, things were not as they seemed, and felt as though Todd was in complete control the entire time. As this story shifted from a complete tragedy to a vicious murder, police started to look into Todd's past to see if they could pinpoint a motive for his gruesome acts. Born in Ardmore, Oklahoma on January 9th, 1968, and quickly abandoned by his mother, Cameron Todd Willingham was raised by his father, Gene, and stepmother, Eugenia. After struggling in school for quite some time, due in large part to his habit of huffing paint, Todd dropped out of high school and, over time, was arrested for things like driving under the influence, stealing a bicycle, and shoplifting. Then, in 1988, he met a senior in high school named Stacy, who, like Todd, came from a troubled background, complete with a stepfather who strangled her mother to death when she was just four years old. Together, Stacy and Todd maintained a rather turbulent relationship, one where Todd was unfaithful, drank too much, and, despite the fact that she was pregnant, liked to lay his hands on his wife. With all of this in mind, police brought Todd in for questioning on December 31st, 1931. 
During his second, more official round of questioning, Todd said that after being woken up by Amber's screams, he felt around the smoky room and found a pair of pants to put on. It was around then that he realized he could no longer hear Amber's voice and yelled out to her, Oh God, Amber, get out of the house. Get out of the house. When informed that her body was found in the room where he was sleeping, he said that he never once sensed that she was in his room. He said he then went down the corridor and tried to reach the children's room, blinded by smoke and startled by the sounds of sockets and light switches popping. He started to crawl down the hallway, but as he stood to open the children's door, his hair caught fire as he felt the sheer amount of heat coming from their room. Once he padded out the fire, he continued to grope in the dark, hoping to grab a hold of one of the girls. He claims he did so until the heat was far too much for him to bear, and he felt himself losing consciousness. He ran outside, hoping to catch his breath, and saw Diane Barbie yelling at her to call the fire department before he could go back inside. When asked if he had any clue how the fire started, he said he wasn't sure, but thought it must have originated from the children's room since that's where he saw the flames. Continuing on and saying that there were three space heaters set up to keep the house warm, one of which was in the children's room. He said he taught Amber not to play with it and even gave her, quote, whoopings when she was caught touching them. Then a final question was asked, and while it seemed odd at the time, his answer seemed to give police the confirmation that they needed. When asked if he put on shoes before he fled the house, Todd responded in the negative. On the table was a map of the home, and one of the officers pointed to the paper and asked him to confirm the route he took out of the house. When he did so, the police sat back with a sense of accomplishment. Had he walked barefoot the route that he claimed he took, Todd would have likely been walking on top of fire like some sort of circus act. You see, because the fire was started with an accelerant sprayed onto the floor, the flames themselves burned low to the ground. Given where the puddles were found, there was no way Todd could have exited the home the way he did without walking directly on top of the flames. And his bare feet showed no signs of burns. However, when asked, neither Todd nor Stacy seemed to have any motive for causing the house fire. Despite this and his wife's insistence that they had not been fighting, nor did she believe he was responsible, Cameron Todd Willingham was arrested and charged with the murder of his three daughters on January 8th, 1992. When his trial began, Todd was offered a life term in exchange for a guilty plea. He turned it down and insisted he was an innocent man. Presented to the jury were samples of burned materials near the doorway of the home that tested positive for the mineral spirits, indicating that the fire was intentionally set by human hands, as were the medical reports showing Todd, those suffering from minor burns, had feet that were left completely unscathed despite his story of walking barefoot to save his children. The theory was that Todd, for reasons unknown, poured the accelerant as he walked from the home. It was also pointed out that the only escape route from the burning home was blocked by a second refrigerator that, for whatever reason, was pushed up against the door. All of the neighbors questioned came in once again to act as witnesses, with one describing the moment Todd returned to the house in the days following the fire with some friends and family, claiming he seemed to have an odd sense of levity about the situation and became visibly upset not by the fact that he was standing where his daughters lost their lives, 
but that he could not find his prized dart set. At a local bar where a fundraiser was taking place to help the family, Todd placed an order for a replacement and remarked how, quote, money was not a problem now. The prosecution went further to claim that Todd's motive for murder was to rid himself of the burden of unwanted children, using his attempt to abort each of his children by kicking Stacy as an example of his actions. It should be noted that, despite numerous reports that he was a violent husband, there are no actual police reports to back any of this up. When asked, Stacy insisted that he did not abuse the children, which was another theory the prosecution attempted to report to the jury. Another shocking moment came when a man named Johnny Webb, a jailhouse informant, took the stand and said that Todd set the fire to cover up an injury or death of one of his children at the hands of his wife, Stacy. However, none of the girls showed any signs of physical injury at the time of their death. And when later released, Johnny Webb sent the prosecution a, quote, motion to recant testimony, claiming Todd was an innocent man. This, however, would not come to light until after the trial, and Johnny later recanted his recantation. But more on this in a minute. While everyone seemed to be attacking Todd's past, with the prosecution calling him a serial abuser and a sociopath, the defense brought forth people like his former probation officer and judges who claimed Todd showed no signs of sociopathic behavior, that he was a polite man and seemed to care deeply for his family. With all of this information in mind, the jury found Todd Willingham guilty of three counts of capital murder and arson and sentenced him to death. When it came time for the penalty phase of the trial, the prosecutor claimed his tattoo of a skull and serpent fit the profile of a sociopath, with two medical examiners confirming his theory. They also dissected his Iron Maiden posters and used them as a further proof of his guilt. One of the psychiatrists who testified to his sociopathic tendencies was a man named James Grigson, who was nicknamed Dr. Death. He was later expelled by the Psychiatric Association and the Texas Society of Psychiatric Physicians for unethical conduct, claiming he violated the ethics code by, quote, arriving at psychiatric diagnosis without first having examined the individuals in question and for indicating while testifying in court as an expert witness that he could predict with 100% certainty that the individuals would engage in future violent acts. Now, I'm sure you have noticed by now that some things in Todd Willingham's case did not seem to sit right with every person involved in the story. So, while sitting behind bars awaiting his death penalty in 2004, a fire investigator named Gerald Hurst started examining the arson evidence compiled by the original investigator, State Deputy Fire Marshal Manuel Vasquez. In doing so, he was able to discredit each and every piece of arson evidence, backed by experiments and recreations, and found that the only piece of chemical testing done was on the supposed accelerant found on the front porch, right next to a charcoal grill. According to Gerald Hurst, he believed that the accelerant had splashed onto the floor when the firefighters sprayed their high-powered hoses all over the house in an effort to stop the flames, that it came from the melted container nearby. He eventually concluded that there was, quote, no evidence of arson, a conclusion that was reached by other fire investigators as well. 
The report was then sent off to Governor Rick Perry's office, as well as the Board of Pardons and Paroles, and placed in conjunction with Todd's appeal for clemency. None responded to his appeals. When asked about the allegations that an innocent man was behind bars, Rick Perry said, Willingham was a monster. He was a guy who murdered his three children, who tried to beat his wife into an abortion so that he wouldn't have those kids. Person after person has stood up and testified to facts of this case that, quite frankly, you aren't covering. So, people pushed on. Unfortunately, so did the wheels of justice, and Cameron Todd Willingham was executed by lethal injection on February 17, 2004, at the age of just 36. He maintained his innocence up until his last breaths and had already spent years trying to appeal his conviction. All of his efforts were denied. But other people weren't done fighting for Todd's innocence. After hearing about Gerald's conclusions, Maurice Posley and Steve Mills of the Chicago Tribune came forward and published their own piece on all of the poor investigative skills of the people involved in Willingham's case. The case was then written about again in a 2009 investigative report that appeared in The New Yorker and drew heavily on the arson investigation specifically and the arson advances we have experienced since 1991, claiming that had all of this information been available at the time of the trial, Todd would have absolutely been acquitted. At the behest of many and because of these journalists, the state of Texas ordered a re-examination of the case in June of 2009. That August, 18 years after the fire and five years after his execution, the report conducted by Dr. Craig Baylor found that, quote, a finding of arson could not be sustained and claimed the key testimony from the fire marshal during the trial was, quote, more characteristic of mystics or psychics. The prosecutor in the case, John Jackson, and the city of Corsicana both released formal responses to the reexamination and were both sharply critical of Dr. Baylor, and John himself said that the burns Todd suffered from were so superficial they were likely self-inflicted, doubling down on his insistence that Todd was completely to blame for the deaths. He and New Yorker writer David Grand publicly went back and forth with David combating every piece of evidence John Jackson claimed pointed to Todd's guilt, saying that if there was no scientific evidence that a crime occurred, then Todd's actions seemed to be just that of a grieving man. The Texas Forensic Science Commission was scheduled to discuss the Baylor report at an October 2009 meeting, but Governor Rick Perry, just two days before the meeting, replaced the chair of commissions and two other members, leading to the meeting being canceled and accusations that Rick was interfering with the investigation. He denied those claims. That same month, the city of Corsicana released two affidavits that included statements from Ronnie Coykendall, Todd's former brother-in-law, in which he stated back in 2004 that Todd's ex-wife told Ronnie that Todd confessed to setting the fire and killing his children. On the 25th, Stacy told the Fort Worth Star-Telegram that, during a final prison meeting before his execution, Todd admitted to setting the fire after Stacy threatened to divorce him the night before. This, however, was in direct contradiction to every single one of Stacy's previous comments, legal testimony, and published interviews. Her statements continue to fluctuate and baffle investigators, legal teams, and journalists. 
On July 23, 2010, the Texas Forensic Science Commission acknowledged that the state and local arson investigators used flawed science in their original investigation, but did not find the men, Manuel Vasquez and Douglas Fogg, negligent or guilty of misconduct. That same year, the Innocence Project filed a lawsuit against the state of Texas, seeking a judgment of official oppression. The project, with the help of the New York Times, would later report in 2014 that the testimony given by Johnny Webb, the one that, for many, sealed Todd's fate, had been part of a deal to earn Johnny a release from prison, something both Johnny and the prosecution had long denied. They found evidence that Johnny admitted to lying on the stand in exchange for John Jackson's help with a reduced sentence and financial help from a rich rancher. The following year, the Texas State Bar filed a disciplinary action against John Jackson. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on January 10th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.